Welcome to The Lens with me, Sarah Travers. The Lens is a business in the community podcast in partnership with One Young World. And I'm delighted that our guests today are Yasmin Diamond, Executive Vice President of Global Corporate Affairs at Intercontinental Hotels Group, or IHG, and Cicely Liu, Communications Specialist, Finance Journalist and One Young World Ambassador. Interestingly, Cicely also is MD of Visionary Education, a team of volunteers who design and deliver a collection of training programmes to improve the quality of rural education in China. You're both very welcome. In this episode, we will be exploring the importance of having a skilled workforce and how employers have a role to play in continuing to develop people throughout their careers. We'll see how inspiring young people from a very early age is critical to both their success and that of the business. And we'll look at the role of communications and how good storytelling is essential to raising business profile and sharing the responsible actions a business can and should take. So let's get into the conversation. Yasmin, Cicely, welcome to The Lens. Yasmin, you have a really impressive CV, um, the career history to date, uh, especially working in government communications for such a long time, both with DEFRA and the Home Office. You were awarded a Companion of the Order of the Bath, a CB, in the 2011 New Year's Honours List in recognition of your career in government communications. It says here, you are an avid tennis fan, a season ticket holder at Brentford FC and a lover of cricket where your loyalties definitely lie with Pakistan. But what did life start out like for you, Yasmin? Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you grew up. I'm from Bradford. I went to school there, went to university in Leeds, and then I started my career out in the north of England. And I've always had a spine in communications, corporate affairs and marketing, but I've been so fortunate to work in so many different sectors. I started my career out in the arts, then went into the National National Health Service and then went into the BBC, which is absolutely a fascinating organisation to work for. And from there, I spent 10 actually joyous years um, in Whitehall in three different departments, education and employment, department for environment and rural affairs, food and rural affairs, and then finally within the home office. Um, And then in the last nine years, I've been at Intercontinental Hotels and Resorts as global head of corporate affairs. I am Pakistani, born in the UK, and I'm a Muslim. Thank you. So, Cicely, let's turn to you. You've such passions and you've done such incredible things in your life. You've travelled to 15 countries for international news reporting in your former journalism career. You were captain of your high school chess team for many years and won third place in the New Zealand Female Chess Championships. Tell us a little bit about you. So I was born in China and I grew up in New Zealand because my family moved there when I was 12 years old. And then I came to London for my undergrad degree. I studied English literature, absolutely love stories. Following that, I went into journalism, which I truly loved because it is about finding out people's stories, their lives, what are they interested in. So I did that for seven years, traveled to many fascinating places in the world and learned a lot from great minds. Uh, Following that, I went into the 
public sector for government policy. And now I work in um, the ESG sector in London. But on the side, I run Visionary Education, which is a program that helps rural schools in China to improve their provision of education. Importantly, there are a lot of what's been called left behind children, meaning their parents work in big cities as migrant workers. And as a result, they don't really get the love, care and attention that they need. Visionary education was started about 13 years ago. And we have helped many hundreds of thousands of young kids It's incredible what you've been doing. You can hear your passion and your voice for for what you do. You say it's been going for 13 years now. How does it actually work? How do you manage to do that, say, from London or do you travel back and forth? Um, So I manage a team of about 50 volunteers and I work on the strategy. I communicate with our donors, the regulators and all the supporting organizations who give us so much help. We have curated the program for the summer camp for the kids and the um, principal training for their leadership improvement. And I um, work with my team to make sure that the strategic direction of visionary education is going in a way that's in sync with the reality on the ground. I absolutely love it and I get a lot from it, especially working with the kids. They are so enthusiastic about doing better and having a better life for themselves and also others in their community. Well, we're focusing on two things in this podcast, on communication and on skills. And you've married really both of those in your vision and in the way you help people. But we're talking about storytelling. So just tell us an example of somebody who has benefited from all of those extra hours that you put in in your day. Back in 2019, one story really touched my heart. I was in a rural school in China teaching a class of very young, like 13 years old. And those are kids jumping around, very enthusiastic. And on the second day, I noticed a little girl who was just very quiet in the back row. She doesn't interact with anyone. And I went to her and I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And then she started to cry. And I was really surprised by that. Then she said she wants to be a doctor, but she realized that the dream will never become true um, because that's just so far-fetched from her world in a rural village. I said, why do you want to be a doctor? She said it's because when she was young, there was one day she got ill and her mother had to take her um, to a very far place to see a doctor. And she felt she was a burden to her mother and she wants to be a doctor in rural China so that when other kids in the future get ill, their mothers don't have to take so much pressure and stress. And um, I felt that was such a beautiful story. I said, if you study hard, you can go to university and you can really fulfill your dream. I gave her a lot of catch up lessons in the break time. I got her to lead morning reading for the whole class. And then she became very enthusiastic and confident in her herself I felt she is really living the life that she wants to live every single child has a story and that's what's so magical about helping each one of them each child has a different story and a different family and now a new opportunity through what you're doing so really commendable incredible to to hear that Yasmin, let's turn to you now and tell us a little bit about Intercontinental Hotels Group I mean obviously 
over the last 18, 20 months. It's been extremely difficult. Tell us how everything's going for you and your business. We are in 100 countries. We have over 6,000 hotels. So as you can see from that, we're in thousands and thousands of communities. And our model um, is based on kind of third-party ownership. So we basically work with lots of small to medium-sized business owners. Our largest market is the U.S. Our fastest-growing market is China. We've got around about 350,000 colleagues across the world. So skills training, recruitment, retention. Clearly, the last 18 months have been really hard. But one of the things we found is when we had the financial crisis, kind of demand literally went away. It actually, you know, was reduced. What we're finding with COVID and the pandemic is that demand was suppressed because that whole joy of traveling, um, not just for business, but for pleasure and seeing family and friends and for those really special occasions in your life, those things, they're not going to stop. The most important thing for us was to ensure that the safety of our guests and our colleagues and our owners and in the communities that we operated in, we've got a really long heritage of acting and behaving and doing business responsibly. And in the last year, we kind of evolved our purpose to true hospitality for good, doing good for our communities, our people, our colleagues, our guests and our owners. And we also launched um, our 10-year responsible business strategy called Journey to Tomorrow, uh, where we've made some really significant commitments around our community impact, around our environmental impact, um, our people, whether it be you know diversity, equity and inclusion, it just felt the right thing to do coming out of the pandemic. And it's really galvanised the organisation about what we do need to do to be a responsible business. You've talked about the franchise model of the business, but then for each of those franchises, they were employing people and, you know, you've trained them up. They're suddenly working in an industry and during COVID, there's no need for this industry. So you saw a mass exodus of people. How do you get people wanting to go back into the hotel and the hospitality industry now? I think the most important thing is for people to see the hospitality, in particular the hotel industry, as a really rewarding career. Sarah, it's the, probably one of the only industries that you can start at the bottom at entry level and you work your way right up to the top of the organisation. We have historically had a lot of programmes um, like the IHG Academy, which I think we could talk about in a little while, that really give people exposure to, to the industry and get those skills and have a taste of what the industry is like. We, we need to probably do a lot more in terms of, you know, showing what how rewarding the industry is. Um, and it's one of those industries where you are dealing with real people and you're sharing their highs and some of their lows. Um, and it's very rewarding. Um, it's an industry that allows you to travel and experience and get exposed to different cultures, different communities. It's a very caring industry. Um, hospitality at its heart, it's hospitable. And so there are a huge range of things we need to do. And as we've reopened and brought people back, we've done a lot of things to ensure that our hotel colleagues are really kind of looked after, they're trained, they feel safe, there's really clear protocols in place around 
um, you know, what you do in terms of cleanliness and how safety for our colleagues, safety for our guests. Well, I would love to actually talk a little bit about the academy, given that we're talking about skills and you've made us think perhaps differently about the hospitality industry. Now, the flip side of that is that it doesn't seem to be a very family friendly business because it's 24 seven and late nights and all of those things. So how do you prepare people coming in for a career in the hospitality industry? The Academy is nothing new for IHG. We've had it going for a number of years and it's already helped around about 80,000 people across the world. Having colleagues to come into hotels and work in hotels was incredibly important to us. It was a business reason as well to kind of train up working with colleges, uh, schools to give people exposure to hospitality, to get training Uh, to have genuine in-hotel experience. We've also now created the Skills Academy, which is an online platform with material on there and training for people to have the online um, exposure as well. So you're basically reaching a huge number um, of people that you would be able to reach inside the hotels. What the Academy does is because it's based uh, within communities, it's working with local educational institutions, It's touching upon thousands and thousands of communities. And it is also something that really appeals to younger people as they're uh, coming in into kind of employment. And so what we want to do is say you're exposed to it then, you know, go off and do your, you know, do your degree, go into another industry, come back to us and see us as uh, an industry in which you can work in. So there are some jobs that are more um, in that kind of, you know, unsociable hours. Again, not just our industry, but yes, that's a fact. But there are other roles that lend themselves to different kind of working environments. And I think that's the beauty of a hotel. Uh, there are so many different roles. It, it's very, very broad. And you're part of something that is very global. Anywhere you go, your colleagues are there. They're part of the IHG family. I see a great uh, correlation between the Skills Academy, Cicely, and what you're doing with visionary education, because it really is about exposing someone to a new world of opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, it's rewarding to see the kids learning new skills, but also the young volunteers developing new skills as well. So when I first started my journey at Visionary Education about four years ago, I realized a lot of young volunteers just join for one year because they need that summer experience. They need that thing on their CV, but they don't really stay. And one big change I've made Um, since going into the leadership is to curate opportunities for young volunteers to grow and develop their skill sets so that they keep on returning the next year and the next year. And that's very fantastic for the stability of the whole um, vision education charity. One example is a very, very bright and um, intelligent girl said, I'm probably not going to return next year because I want a variety of experiences and I'm going to go and do an internship at maybe a tech startup next year. I felt, okay, um, that's all good for her, but I wanted her to realize there are opportunities for her to emerge into the leadership. And then she stayed because she saw how important the stability is and she felt a sense of responsibility 
Committee. So I encouraged her to take a leadership position the next year. And she led a team of new volunteers to do a new program. And now she is curating new projects, such as doing online training for the teachers, which we have never done. But just because she had that idea, I let her go with it. And I equip her with all the support, all the skills, all the resources, allowing her to shine and to thrive. Um, and another um, amazing um volunteer is a young boy who was very very shy in the very beginning when he joined because he was only 19 when he joined and um, he's super smart but he's not so confident and I encouraged him to um, do things that interest him and he said maybe I'm interested in human resources so I said okay next year when we recruit new volunteers why don't you lead the team for um, recruitment so he assembled a team of about five volunteers and he gives instruction and I let him to be the authority and he can divide up the workload, divide up the responsibility and determine the direction that we want to go. And I think this sense of autonomy really gives people confidence and emotional closeness and affiliation to a organization and they grow and develop so much more than just taking instructions. One of the biggest challenges, I suppose, out there at the minute is making sure that everyone gets an opportunity to upskill. So it's one thing if you come from a privileged background, you've got the finance behind you. The flip side of that is what happens when you don't have money behind you? You know, how do you make sure that once you've invested the time and the energy in this young person, that maybe they don't have the funds behind them to keep going with that? How do you make sure that that doesn't just stop once the program ends? So two things that we do. One is we really try to maximize the impact of our training. So we get the um, school principals to um, actually share their knowledge and learning with neighboring school principals. And we encourage them to run their own little program. So we, we support them through resources, coaching, some funding as well. For example, one principal who has completed our leadership training program this year he hosted a project involving about 60 different neighboring school principals and teachers so that really allows our legacy to spread so much wider and on the kids front the second thing we do is we train the teachers because we realize for our volunteer team to go to a rural school for one week is not going to substantially change a kid's life it might broaden their vision allow them to see a new world allow them to think big and to feel that they're supported emotionally but on the long-term basis it's the teachers that they're going to come in touch with every single day so we train the teachers um, and make sure they know uh, our methodology and they are involved in how we curate the program so they can pass those on to generations of children according to skill builder the eight essential and transferable skills employees young old and everywhere in between should have are apparently listening speaking problem solving creativity staying positive aiming high leadership and teamwork so there's a lot in there around the soft skills I suppose and communication. Yasmin you come from a world of communications and you've moved into the corporate world how vital are these communication skills? I think they're essential one of the things you have to always look at 
is that you you have to be able to tell a story. You have to be able to either convince somebody, argue against them, put across your point of view, inspire them. And I think every leader needs to have that. There's some really clear principles that I feel are just essential. Firstly is don't ever get confused by thinking there are two very separate things like internal communications and external communications. They're not. There's nothing that stays within the four walls of your corporate organization. I think you need to have a very, very clear narrative that is your company narrative or a project narrative, whatever you may be working on. And then you nuance it for your different audiences over indexing on certain things that you know that they will want to have more scrutiny over. The other essential thing is simplicity. Everyone thinks their organization is really simple till they start talking. And so I think the art of good communications or engaging communications is keeping it simple and where there is complexity describing that complexity in a way that people will understand and transparency and openness i think during covid it was just really essential to be really transparent companies were making some really really tough decisions and i think people understand those tough decisions when you can explain the rationale for them the final one for me always apply the rearview mirror test when you look back will you be comfortable with the way that you've done things um, and the way that your company has behaved communication is just essential and um, in corporate life and in your personal life Yes, good communication is one thing, but, uh, you know, looking at that list from Skill Builder, staying positive and problem solving, they're two skills now that are much sought after and everybody's looking at resilience training and how do we build resilience and make people be able to deal with the difficult decisions that need to be made. Maybe you could share a personal experience of a challenge where that's tested you and, and maybe how you've handled it and you could share some advice for others. The recent example of working through the pandemic, you know, we spoke earlier about the fact that it did impact um, our industry significantly. And, you know, you are immediately put working from home, online, um, getting used to, to that, working incredibly long hours and working through some really difficult and complex things with high levels of emotion. And I think the thing that I learned about myself is, firstly, I don't particularly like working from home seven days a week. I like to work with my colleagues. I like to have social interaction. The other thing I realized is, even when you didn't have new news, but just keeping those connections going, talking to colleagues, and not just talking about work, but talking about things that are broader than just work um, and checking in with people regularly, it taught me that I get a lot of my energy working with other people. But it also made me realise how much I just like, loved and respected my company um, and what we stood for. Because when we were really up against it, even through tough decisions or good decisions, we really took care with those decisions and... You know, I feel as though we were living our purpose of providing true hospitality for good. 
It is really interesting, though, that you talked about that importance of keeping the communication channels open. And and we absolutely understood that thoroughly um, through the pandemic. And that's, I suppose, when a business or an organization's values were really tested. Did your employees, did your stakeholders, did everybody feel communicated with, valued and looked after? And I think whenever you got the leaders communicating with staff and actually saying, do you know what? It was a great leveller, wasn't it? It was, do you know what? I'm struggling with this too. It made such a difference. You're absolutely right. Um, What we found uh, was more and more of those meetings where, you know, you kind of, you're just having a conversation. Uh, You're talking about what's happening in the broader world, um, how that's impacting your industry, how that's impacting you, and then going into more details about things that you you know you're going to have to do. You, you can show some vulnerability because you're all human, and nobody has all the answers. And I think I like my bosses, you know, to tell me, look, I, I genuinely don't know. Can we work through some of this together? And I think during a crisis, we learned a lot about ourselves as a business. We realised that when you're completely focused on one thing and getting through something, you work really effectively. Um, but equally, we realised that we could not be a 100% remote uh, business. We're a hospitality business. We are a people business. And our colleagues on the front line in the hotel, they can't do their jobs remotely. So that being open, being transparent for all levels of the organisation, not just, you know, with the CEO, but all of the leadership teams and the individual leaders talking to their colleagues, checking in with them. And then also, working remotely, that blur between home life and uh, professional life was just completely gone. And so we introduced things like recharge days, and we introduced it across the whole company, but we did four or five on a Friday where the whole company were off and they were on top of, you know, your your kind of normal holidays. And it actually meant that there weren't emails coming in and clearly there was, if there was essential things that needed to be done, but it meant the whole company and they were just wonderful and colleagues really valued them. And then we've also introduced things like Focus Fridays where Try not to have a Friday where you've got hundreds of meetings. Try to not have standing meetings on a Friday and allow that day to be the way you can clear your emails, you can have some thinking time. And again, they are also working really well. You've got to have the policies behind that to also support your colleagues. And I also think it's about employees being able to find their voices, to be able to try and make work work for them so that, you know, that employers and organisations go, okay, trust is there. You can be flexible. Cicely, I don't know how you feel for young people choosing where they want to work. It is a culture that is nurturing, that trusts an employee and lets them flourish and thrive. Yeah, absolutely. And I really agree with everything that Jasmine has said about looking after everyone who works for the organization because every single participant defines the culture of the organization, every single person. And um, I find during the pandemic, for example, when there is a test of resilience, we really came together to support each other. For example, when the pandemic first hit, we have to quickly switch the uh, offline training program to online no one know how to do it so I said to my team I don't know how to do it either but can we make a decision to do it as a team and 
once everyone agrees, we think about who will take care of the technicality, who will take care of communicating with the school principals, who will curate the new program, who will invite the trainers, how do we get the new model working? And everyone takes responsibility and autonomy. Everyone develops new skills, but they feel that and the skill sets that they most want to develop, they get that opportunity and the training and the support and the resources to do that. And that builds leaders for the future and then leaders of the future presumably stay positive or creative, they can problem solve, their communication skills are better. What's been the biggest challenge for you in building your own resilient skills? How have you found your voice and now going on to be a One Young World ambassador? What has that done for you in terms of confidence and competence and resilience? Um, I think one big challenge is doing things for the first time. Um, And the way I do it is I just come up with a plan, I get the team support, and then I just run with it. So for example, during the pandemic years, uh, we started to branch out into publishing. For example, last year, we got together a group of 50 principals who has completed this training program that we run, and each of them wrote a story about their leadership, about their schools. So I assembled everyone. And the big takeaway for me is for me to stay confident and to know that this will happen by the time the publishing deadline comes. We managed to do it because once you are there as a face of confidence, everyone else will follow and it will happen and you can't really hesitate. With both of you, with your storytelling, your journalism, your communication skills at your roots, what would you say are the key thing businesses listening to this podcast today need to keep in mind to really share what they are doing as good corporate citizens? I think listening to your audience, know what sort of things they want to understand and then being very genuine in telling your story, Um, not the type of marketing language that sometimes people find difficult to engage with, but getting into the details of what exactly you're doing and how that's impacting on the individuals that you're helping. And granular details really help because um, people connect with individuals' stories. Yeah, absolutely. And same question to you, Yasmin. So I think the biggest thing I would say is be really thoughtful about the commitments that you make and make sure the commitments actually sit with the DNA of your organisation And I think people will then understand what you're making. doesn't mean they won't push you any further and say, well, how are you going to go further in certain areas? Or what about, you know, other areas of biodiversity or, uh, you know, human rights? But um, I think that's it. Don't make commitments with not knowing how you're going to get there. And I think we've seen as well that your organisation is only as good as the people and the individuals in it. You know, gone are the days where we just had a huge global brand. Everybody wants to know about the individuals, the the customer service, the people who work there. As leaders, what do you feel your personal responsibility is in terms of inspiring others, making them love their world of work? I think for me, um, it's about creating an environment where the colleagues that you're working with get out of bed every morning and go, I really love working here. I'm challenged. I like the purpose of this organisation and I'm committed to that. So I think for me, it's living by the purpose of IHG, true hospitality for good. 
and being really articulate to your colleagues about how they fit into the bigger picture of, of your organization and what they're contributing. And they're the ones who will go down and tell their friends whether you're a great organization to work for or a terrible organization to work for. Yeah. Who inspired you? Who gave you that chutzpah? Who gave you that drive to go for those challenges? Because some people just aren't as confident maybe as you or you're giving the impression that you're super confident. But where did it come from? I have worked throughout my whole career with some inspiring, inspiring people who also have taken a bet on me. And I think some of it is luck. Some of it is being in the right place at the right time. And then a huge part of it is sheer hard work. I've had great bosses. I've had great colleagues. I've had great teachers. I've had great friends where you constantly learn and you kind of bounce something off them. And you think, am I mad? Am I completely mad to go for that? And they go, no, of course you have to. You must put your hat in the ring for that one. And, um, and that's how I've done it. And you know what? Every single one of us has an imposter syndrome. Mm. Cicely, what about you? Does the imposter syndrome kick in at times? And who has inspired you to get to where you are today? So one big influence is my mother. She's always been a big inspiration for my life. Um, I love her resilience, her um, love for um, everyone around her, her uh, contagious um, enthusiasm and energy, um, and also her love for life. Um, So I feel uh, I really resonate with everything that Jasmine has just said. I really try to create the opportunity for um, everyone in my team to lead to take things in the direction that they want within reason and to support that, to um, give them the encouragement and help them to be confident because when they are confident as a leader, I feel better about the whole energy of the team. And secondly, really a lot of time um, devoted to coaching people in the organization. Um, So normally in a big corporate structure, I would only face the line managers, but knowing that this is a volunteer uh, organization and a lot of those volunteers the university students they need that bit of guidance that bit of training someone they can talk to you about things that they are a little bit confused about and they don't really even know how to articulate it and to say I was there I felt exactly the same way and have you considered this approach and allow them to open up to a new world of possibilities for their personal skill development. Uh, That is how I manage it. And when I see my team grow a lot, um, I feel I'm growing with them as well. Leadership in a nutshell uh, right there. What are you committed to doing more of, Cicely, or less of in the coming year? Um, And specifically, I suppose, around visionary education and inspiring others and continuing to inspire others? I feel more time with my team and more individual attention to everyone I work with so that I feel on the ground. I know everything that's going on and also I feel I'm able to empower everyone with the resources that they need. Thank you so much to both of you, to Yasmin Diamond, Executive Vice President of Global Corporate Affairs at IHG. And thank you to Cicely Liu, Communication Specialist and Financial Journalist, and also One Young World Ambassador and MD of Visionary Education. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Continue inspiring others and providing brilliant leadership. We'll see you next time on The Lens.